All right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, let's give God praise for our worship team one more time. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Good stuff. We want to welcome you here uh, again. For those of you that I haven't met, my name is John Anenson. I'm the campus pastor here, and we are so glad that you are here. I know that we say that every single week, and it may sound uh, cliche, and maybe you've been other places where uh, they don't necessarily walk the talk, and you don't necessarily feel welcomed, and you feel like maybe they weren't expecting you, but we were expecting you uh, today. We believe it's no accident that you are here, and we have been praying for you. Our staff prays for you on a regular basis, and we pray over these chairs, and we pray over the people that will be sitting here. It is not an accident. It is not a coincidence or haphazard that you showed up here this morning. God has something uh, for all of us, and I'm excited about what he's going to do here today. And so uh, we just want to let you know if you're new today, uh, even if you're not, you are always welcome here. God sees you. He notices you. Uh, and there is room for you here in our community. Maybe not physically for those of you that are sitting in the lobby today. That's okay. There is room for you in our family. And we are so glad that you're here and we give God praise uh, for the continued growth that we see here around hope. Amen? Amen. So as we get started uh, this morning, uh, I didn't want anybody to be bored uh, this morning, so I want to start off by asking you a question. Has something happened to you uh, in your life and you found yourself saying, whether you verbalized it or not, have you found yourself saying, well, that's not what I expected? Anybody ever had that experience, right? Something ever happened to you, an event or a circumstance, and you thought to yourself, well, that totally didn't go the way that I planned. Anybody ever expected that, right? Like, I just, it just came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Just like, like a lemon, just flying out of nowhere. Oh, intercepted, right? And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, life just sends you, just a lemon just comes your way. Some of you are like, I was going to nod off during the sermon, but not now, right? This is how I keep you awake, right? Have you ever had a moment in your life where all of a sudden something completely unexpected happens to you? Oh, I, I don't know, like a like a lemon flying, right? And, and, and just out of nowhere, you're going along and life seems pretty normal and boring. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, life hands you a lemon. Anybody ever had that experience, right? I think we've all been there, right? What do you do when life throws you a lemon? Literally, like you're sitting in church and the pastor starts walking the aisles and throws you like literally, but also figuratively in our lives. When what you expected is not what you get at all, when life surprises you and you're forced to adapt. I'm guessing that most of us, if we're honest, have had countless examples of uh, when life has left us frustrated or disappointed, or maybe for some of you, even angry at God, questioning God, bitter at God. Why did this have to happen? Why did I get this lot in life? Why, did, why this? Why that? Now, those lemons that life throws at you are, sometimes they're big and sometimes they're just small. Sometimes they're little annoyances. I don't know if any of you have been ever in a big parking lot and you're waiting for that parking spot and you're waiting for the car to back up and as soon as they leave, there's a car on the other side that just takes it right in front of you and you're like, I love you, Christian brother or sister, you know, like you just little annoyances uh, like that or, you know, you had planned to go to work and all of a sudden you get sick or your kids get sick and you have to rearrange the childcare schedule, or your car breaks down, or you get a flat tire, and all these unexpected things. Sometimes life throws you lemons, but sometimes the lemons that life throws you are a little bit bigger and a little bit more life-altering, and they're sour. You lose your job. Your children, even your grown children, make a painful decision. The pregnancy test is negative, again, or the pregnancy test is positive. 
Your parents tell you that they're splitting up. Some of these, maybe for you, these lemons came years ago. Someone close to you gets sick. Someone close to you that you love gets sick and dies. Even if you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, well, that's, that's not me, John. I can't relate to any of those things. You may be feeling a little immune to that. Like, well, I didn't get a lemon this morning, right? So I, I, I'm pretty good. Like, li- life is good. Life is fine. Even if you're saying I'm immune to it today, chances are that for all of us, because we're human and we live in this broken world, all of us are still recovering or picking up the pieces from a lemon that came to us many years ago. And big or small, any of these events that life throws our way leaves us asking many questions, one of which I believe that we've all asked a time or two, where is God in all of this? Because my life doesn't look like the picture of what I thought it would be. Because the reality is for all of us, whether we've said it or not, uh, we all have a, a, a picture, we all have an image of what we want our life to be. And, and as life throws lemons our way, we're constantly readjusting that picture. But all of us, and this is a good thing, we're called to have hope. But all of us have a picture of an image of the ideal reality of what our lives are supposed to look like. I was thinking about it uh, this week. For example, uh, our kids uh, love Legos. Do we have any Lego fans out there? A few Lego fans. Some of you are like, I'm not too ashamed to admit it. I'm a kid at heart, right? I still play with Legos. We have tons of Legos in our house. We have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and they love Legos. And they just, our four, Caleb just went right from the Duplos right to what he calls the little Legos, because those are for big boys, and I'm a big boy daddy, so out of my way. So he is all about the Legos. And because Christmas just happened, uh, we have like four or five new little sets like this in our house that we're uh, putting together uh, slowly uh, as they come. He wants to put them all together at the same time. And I think one of the things that I've realized that gets him so excited about these Legos is that when you buy a Lego set, what do you see? The finished product, right? You buy the Legos. I remember the first couple times we got these, like that he could verbalize that we got Legos. He's like, whoa. And he opened the box and he's like, what? I was supposed to get a helicopter and a semi-truck, and I got pieces. <laughs> this doesn't match this, right? Every single one of us has a picture of what we think life is going to be like, and then we open up the box and we get this, right? And I think there's been multiple times where even as we're putting it together, he's gotten frustrated, and we're putting it together, and he's like, well, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't look like a semi-truck. This looks at pieces. It looks like pieces. It doesn't match up. And to be honest, for some of you... <laughs> This is a great illustration for the first year of marriage or the first 15 years of marriage, right? I thought I was getting this, but I got this, right? We were so in love, right, that when I married you, I thought I was, we were just, it was going to be romantic all the time and I was always going to feel in love with you and everything was going to be great, right? And then I have to do your laundry, Right? or whatever it is, right? And we don't like each other. I thought I was getting somebody that would agree with me on everything, right? And then you get married and it's like, well, you're, you're not a male or female version of myself, the opposite of whatever that is, right? What do you do when the piece doesn't match the picture? How about parenting, right? The same could apply to parenting. Some of you that have kids long ago can remember this, or if you're young parents right now, right? Some of you, like, you're, <laughs> you look at other people with kids and you have this picture of what parent. We are never getting a minivan, right? We are never getting a minivan with a DVD player, 
I'm never going to be one of those parents that let my kid watch a cell phone to kill time while we're out to eat so I can have five minutes of sanity to eat my dinner. I'm never going to be like, I am going to raise a world changer, okay? It's going to be amazing. And you say, I'm going to raise a world changer. And then you have kids and life says, change a diaper, right? What do you do when the pieces don't match the picture? Not just with Legos, but in your life. Every single one of us has a picture of what that's supposed to look like. What do you do when the pieces don't match the picture? What do you do when the promise of what was given doesn't match the process and the slowness of how it all comes together? I just remember this moment distinctly where we were putting the Legos together, and Caleb just says, what is this? This is not what I bought. I bought a Star Wars thing, or I bought a semi-trailer, or whatever it is, and that never goes away, because we say, I was supposed to be married by now, or I got married, and this wasn't supposed to happen. I, I got pieces. I... I wasn't supposed to have this job, but this is kind of what life's given me. And God, you gave me this. I, I was supposed to have that, that kind of, you know, when we got married, we were going to have that kind of marriage that, that they do. You know, that couple that's always over there reading their Bible and praying and holding hands together all cutesy. And my marriage looks like this. God, you promised me that, and what I got was pieces. But maybe, what I want to propose to you this morning, maybe... It's in pieces for a purpose. Maybe it's in pieces for a purpose. Maybe, just maybe, what we discover today is that God is just as interested, if not more interested, in who you're becoming and a relationship with, with him than he is in you getting all the directions for your life at once. There are directions. We just don't read them a lot. And nobody knows that better. Nobody knows about how the pieces don't match the picture better than the characters in our story today, Abraham and Sarah. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. It is conveniently located in the very beginning of your Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. So we're going to start a little bit before our scripture reading today. For those of you that have been around, and if you're new, I'll catch you up. We've been in a sermon series called Genesis, a binge-worthy Bible series, and we've been looking at some of these old stories in Genesis through a brand new lens, through the lens of some of your favorite TV shows. And maybe as you look up there, one of those is your favorite, and, and, and maybe you don't know anything about them. Well, that's okay. We'll catch you up. But some of the most popular TV shows, and today is no exception, as we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis through the lens of the show, This Is Us. And it, I understand maybe this is a little bit more of a fan favorite than some of the other ones before. Uh, how many This Is Us fans out there? Anybody? Okay, good. Quite a few of you. Awesome. So uh, don't worry if you haven't seen it or if you have, if you're in the middle of it, no spoilers. Uh, the point of it is, uh, is that we're going to take a modern look at some of these old stories that are just as relevant as they have ever been. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, now don't get confused here. Some of you are like, who is Abram? I know Abraham, but I don't know Abram. One of the cool things about the Bible is that you hang out with God long enough, you get a new name. It's a really cool gig. So I would encourage you to hang out with God. If you don't like your name, you'll get a new one. Uh, so same person, Abram later becomes Abraham. Don't be confused. God says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Wow! What an incredible promise! Think about that. This is absolutely incredible. Essentially, God comes to Abraham, like we all long for this, and says, look it, I'm telling you the whole picture of your life. This is what it's going to look like. This is way better than a Lego set put together. I'm going to bless the entire world through you, meaning your offspring are going to grow and your descendants, and I'm going to end up blessing the entire world through you. I'm giving Abraham, I'm giving you the picture of your future, a picture of the promise. Pause. You'll notice that in the Bible and in our lives, because the Bible is a reflection of us, God usually gives you the picture, and then he gives you pieces. God normally gives you the picture, and then he gives you one piece at a time, because that's how life comes to us, right? One piece at a time. Maybe God is more interested in you following him and understanding him and trusting him one piece at a time than it is taking the entire picture all at once. God comes to Abraham and gives him the picture, and then he starts to give him pieces. You're going to be the father of a great nation. In fact, I'm going to bless the whole world through you, right? Absolutely incredible, right? And if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, wow, God, that's that's an amazing picture. This is great. But God, here's, um, in case you forgot that you're God, here's some of the pieces that I've been dealt. God, in case you forgot, I'm 75, okay? I'm, I'm well into retirement here. I'm getting my social security check. God, I golf three times a week. Okay, that's in my version, not yours. Um, and, and my wife, Sarah, you know, the whole like descendant thing, that's not gonna make a lot of sense with the pieces that you've given me in my life because she can't have kids. And the last time I looked in the announcement section of the newspaper, you don't see an 80-year-old woman having a kid. So this whole descendant thing, God, these pieces don't really make sense sense. So the pieces don't match the picture for Abraham. So what do you do when life hands you pieces? Well, God comes again and reassures the promise. You skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 15. And concerning the promise, God comes to Abraham and he says, go outside and look up at the stars. If you've never done this before, go ahead and look up the stars the next time you're out at night. The millions of stars. And God tells Abraham to go and look out. He says, you see, all those stars, so shall the number of your descendants be. I'm giving you the whole picture here, Abraham, and listen to how he responds. Let's read it together. Verse 6 of chapter 15. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Is, is that how you normally respond when life hands you lemons? When a detour comes your way, when life hands you a piece, <laughs> with all these pieces that make no sense whatsoever, we, uh, Abram says, I have to leave everything I've ever known and go to a country that I've never known before, and my wife is barren, and yet we're supposed to have a kid, and God, I don't understand how you're going to make all this happen. Anybody ever said that? God, I trust you, but how in the world are you going to do this? Further proof that this story, the main character, is not Abraham. It's God. He's the hero. If we're honest, Abraham's obedience and trust, his response is probably not our response. 
when the picture doesn't come together as planned. And that's why I think our TV show that we're highlighting this week has been so successful. So This Is Us started a few years back. Not just do you like it, but how many people have actually seen This Is Us? Just a show of hands. We're like, okay, pretty much a lot of people. Okay, great. Awesome. So this started several uh, years ago, and so it tells the story of another couple, uh, Jack and Rebecca Pearson with their kids, and they are an ordinary couple that meets and falls in love, and then they have children who grow up. And one of the power, uh, the, the cool things about this show is that there's kind of flash forwards, and then there's flashbacks and flash sideways uh, into where they are, and you really get to see the dynamics of family dysfunction and family planning <laughs> and all of that come into play as we go ahead in time and back in time. That's why when I... <laughs> When I do pre-marriage counseling and I meet with couples that are struggling, I actually, maybe you should just watch the show This Is Us and realize that the choices that you're making now, how are they going to affect your kids 30 years from now? I mean, I think it should be required watching for family counseling. I mean, it is us. Hence the show, This Is Us. But the power of the show is that it seems like, well, yeah, I met somebody and I fell in love and we got married and we had kids and they've grown up now. Like, that's the show. What's so special about it? Nothing goes according to plan. The entire show is the pieces. I think the power of the show This Is Us is that essentially at the beginning of the show, they kind of show you the picture. And then over the course of the last couple seasons of the show, what they do is piece by piece take the picture apart to show you that the authors of the story knew exactly what they were doing. You have an author of your story. And you see, oh, I just got a piece at a time, but that totally makes sense. Why, why he's passive-aggressive and why he's trying to control everything and why she has such a hard time trusting men and all these elements and themes of the story, all these pieces start to form the picture. And I think the reason that so many people love this show is because we long for that. We long to know that the seemingly random and insignificant and even sour pieces that were handed, the sour lemons, that somehow God is going to take all of those and somehow fit them together into a beautiful picture. The ultimate question is, does God know what he's doing? And I think that's why we resonate with this show so much in the understanding of our lives. All the pain, all the sorrow, all the disappointment, but also the joy and the laughter and the love, that's real life. This is us, hence the name of the show, because it is us. And so we pick up that story with the story of Jack and Rebecca, and they have been waiting months now for the arrival of not just one, not just two, but three healthy babies. They have triplets, and they, they are now hours away, and they have been planning for months, and they are hours away now from having these children until the doctor comes in, a doctor they've never met, and the doctor hands them, well, probably one of the biggest sour lemons that they'll ever receive in their life that, well, one of the babies isn't doing so well. And watch the father, Jack's reaction, when the piece he's handed doesn't fit into the picture. Let's take a look. When life hands you a piece of the picture that doesn't make sense, how do you normally respond? In that short little clip, there's two main responses right there in those five or ten seconds following that piece that he's handed, following that sour lemon that I think illustrate how a lot of us handle the hiccups, the, the, the speed bumps that life throws our way. I would suggest that when life hands us sour lemons, we respond in one of three 
ways. There's more than that. We're complicated. But to boil it down to three, the first one is denial. That we convince ourselves, this is not happening to me. I'm a Christian. I pray every day. I go to church. I even volunteer. I even raise my hands in worship once. This is not going to happen to me. Bad things don't happen to good people. This can't be happening to me. So it's denial. If that doesn't work, then we move to control. We take things into our own hands because when everything else in life feels out of control, well, I'm just going to do something so that I feel in control. Or, number three, somehow, some way we learn to trust God in the process. Trust God in the process. And you can see so clearly in this first clip, Jack does two out of the three, right? right? What, how does Jack respond, right? The first one is denial, right? This is not happening to us. And you can see these seeds of little shakiness with the gospel there, right? We're, I, today is my lucky day. It's my birthday. Nothing bad can happen to me on my birthday. God wouldn't do something to me like that, or in his sense, luck. We get all these things skewed in our minds. This this is not happening to me today. We're walking out of this hospital with three healthy babies. This is how it's going to happen. Us telling God, this is how it's going to happen, usually doesn't end well. And maybe you've done the same, often believing that for life as a Christian, that life somehow is supposed to get easier, not Harder. Jesus never promised that life is going to be easy. He promised that he would never leave you and never forsake you, no matter what's going on in your life. Jesus doesn't make life easier. He makes life worth living. Amen? Jesus says in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. So that's the given. So if we can't deny it, we move to what I would call a coping mechanism. When life hands you pieces and you want the whole picture and you don't see, why did this happen to me? God, why did you do this? Why did this have to happen? This doesn't make sense at all. If we can't deny it, well, then we'll control it, right? We control it, which is exactly what Abraham and Sarah do. So back to the story, what we often miss in Scripture is that between the chapters, we often think like, oh, Genesis chapter 12, turn the page, Genesis chapter 13. It was like a day and a night. Often there are weeks, months, years between these chapters. And so it's been 10 years since chapter 12, when God came to Abraham and said, you are going to be the father of many nations, the whole world is going to be blessed through you. It's been 10 years since over here God came to Abraham and said, you and Sarah are going to bear a child. It's 10 years later, Abraham is now 85, and God has essentially been silent. And my question for you is, how do you normally handle life in the waiting game between when a promise is given... You feel like God said, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to provide for you, and that provision hasn't happened yet, and you're just in this waiting game of longing. (laughs) Think about Abraham. He left everything, his entire household, his entire livelihood, everything. He moved to this land called Canaan, which he'd never been before, and yet, no child. God, how am I supposed to do this if you're not giving me what I want, what you promised, God, where are you? And I think what you and I often do in the space in between, when the, 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 the place between the promise and the fulfillment is too much to bear, we just say, okay, that's it, God. I'm going to take control. You ever done that? I'm going to do things my way because I can't live in this space between anymore. Skip ahead to chapter 16 in the story, verse 1. It's been 10 years. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. 
So go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. What? Wait, is this Jerry Springer's show or the Bible? Like, what is going on here, right? Some of you look at Abram and Sarah like, well, they're there on a stained glass window in my church growing up, or they were on the flannel graph in Sunday school, and they're these great Bible heroes that, that they don't do anything wrong, right? Isn't the Bible supposed to be rated G? Not in Genesis. It's dysfunctional. This is us. This is us. The more I talk to people that read the Bible a lot, they don't really say that they read the Bible anymore. The more they read the Bible, the more they realize, actually, the Bible reads me. Because I don't look at the Bible anymore and point to it and go, those people, they're screw-ups, they're sin. Now I just kind of read the Bible and go, my screw-ups, my sin. And I turn the finger of judgment and point it back at myself. It's just because our brokenness isn't there like their brokenness doesn't mean that God doesn't view it the same. Some of you are saying, okay, wait, speaking of taking control, John, I've never done that, right? I haven't sold off, you know, the slave girl to sleep with my spouse, right? I haven't taken control like that. Well, maybe not, but we've all done it in one way or another. We all try to take control when God doesn't seem to come through. I can't tell you how many couples that I've met with speaking of premarital counseling, and a good chunk of that, those counseling sessions... is trying to rebuild the trust that's been broken through intimacy long before the two of them ever met with other people. And now they're trying to become one flesh, and yet they, through emotional or physical sexual intimacy, became one flesh with somebody else because the culture said, it's no big deal, just do whatever feels good. And that flesh got torn, and now they're trying to combine that flesh with somebody else, and they have major, major trust issues with each other stemming from previous relationships, all because the promise of like really, really good sexual relationship and emotional intimacy and living together and all these things was given, and then they waited and they waited and they waited and they said, forget about it, I'm just going to do it my own way, because God, you're not coming through for me. As an aside, here's the thing that the culture just sells us in lies. In, in, In media and culture, when you watch television shows and movies... And there's all this activity outside of God's boundaries. Particularly, I'm not trying to, he- uh, to, to highlight sexuality, but that's the most visual thing that's out there that seems innocent. Here's the thing. When we go outside of God's boundaries when it comes to these areas of our lives, what television and movies don't show you because they got to fit it in an hour or an hour and a half, what they don't show you is the pain and the heartache afterwards. Because you know what? Life doesn't go to commercial. Life goes to regret. Life goes to pain. Life goes to heartache. It's a flat-out lie. It's not going to make things better. In fact, it's going to make them worse. When we go outside of God's boundaries, it doesn't go to commercial. It goes to pain and regret. That's just one way that we take control, but I've also talked to other people, and in order to keep up with the Joneses, whoever their Joneses are and whatever their season of life is, they just spend and they spend and they spend and they max out their credit cards because the, the picture of the house that we have doesn't match the picture of the house that they have. And all we have is pieces. 
and my car doesn't look like their car, and I have a master's degree, and they have that job, and they have a master's degree, but my job doesn't look like their job. And all I have is pieces because God hasn't come through for me yet, so I'm just going to go into a bunch of debt and try to keep up and play the comparison game, and now I'm just swamped in thousands of dollars of debt. We try to seek control. It's the, it's the man or woman that's standing in front of the mirror hating what they look like turning either to starving themselves or splurging just to fill the ache inside. It's the unemployed man or woman that couldn't stand the feelings of denial and the job search again and again and again, whether it's that or anything else. Alcohol never numbs the pain. It only makes it worse. This isn't other people. These aren't hypotheticals. This is real stories of people that we've encountered the last 10 years of this church. To quote the show, this is us. So can we just be real? (laughs) I think a lot of times you think of John standing up here and saying all these hypotheticals, but we're like this squeaky clean community and I'm including myself in that. This is us. So can we just be real and say, this is us. This is life. This is who we are. We have issues. We're a mess. Life is messy. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is us. Just tell them right now, this is us. Just remind me of that. This is us. We own it, right? How do you try to control life when life gets unpredictable? And what we discover from Abraham's story is that seizing control and trying to do things our own way outside of God's boundaries never ends well. Some of you are like, well, it's Abraham and Sarah, and we know the whole story, and he's a biblical hero and everything like that. Not without pain and heartache. Read the rest of the story. We don't have time to do it all today, but you read the next couple chapters after this whole Jerry Springer episode here. The next few years are filled with lies and bitterness and broken trust and pain and heartache, not just in Abraham and Sarah's marriage, but it affects everybody around them. Here's the thing. Your sin never just affects you. It affects everybody around you. It's not that it can't be redeemed. It's not that it can't be healed, but... What movies and television shows don't have time to show is consequences. And whenever we go outside of God's boundaries, there's consequences. And I want you to know today that God's not coming and saying, I'm asking you to to trust in my timing. He's not saying for no good reason or just so I can watch you squirm in the waiting period. God says, I'm asking you to trust me because inside my boundaries, whether it's sex or relationships or marriage or finance or how you treat your body, how you treat yourself, and exercise, and eating right, and and treating your body well, inside of my boundaries, God says, that's where the joy is. It's not over there. It's inside of my boundaries. They're there to protect you, not to keep you from having a great life. This is where the freedom is. This is where the joy is. I got a clue for you. This is where the pleasure is. Have you read the Song of Songs? If you're married, have a date. And go home and read your Bible. That would be my encouragement to you. And then you can do whatever you want after that. But I would encourage you to do that, right? God says, I'm not some sort of sexual prude here. I'm not some sort of joy prude that wants to steal your joy inside of my boundaries. There's a better way. There's a better way than the denial, and there's a better way than trying to control life. Maybe there's a third way. And that's where the story of This Is Us continues. This is all in the first episode, by the way, that all of this happens, right? It's kind of like the first episode of This Is Us. It's kind of like the first episode of the Bible is Genesis. It's a mess, right? It's a disaster. And so the story continues. The the doctor has to do a C-section to try to save these three babies, and he comes out and he sees Jack, the father, in the waiting room. 
And life is about to throw him a bitter, bitter lemon. And watch as the doctor comes out and tries to offer some words to Jack and tries to say, maybe, Jack, maybe, just maybe, there's a better way. Let's take a look. Just maybe not the way you planned. Life hands us pieces, and oftentimes they don't fit into our picture of what we had planned. And I know that this is a sensitive topic because it's not just a TV show. This is us. We've had support groups here in the past for couples that have gone through this very thing Uh, on either side of it. What do you do when life throws sour lemons your way? Dr. Gutowski is getting a little bit closer. The answer isn't denial. The answer isn't control, but a deep trust in the process. In the process. Not that just you'll be okay, but I hope you paid attention to what he said, that life can still be good, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even if something's happened to you and it's completely derailed your life, doesn't mean that God can't still work through you and do incredible things. Joy is available. Beauty is available to you. Not a life of cynicism and bitterness, but joy is available to you right in the middle of your mess. And even in their distrust at the same time, God didn't give up on Abraham and Sarah. God didn't, didn't say, well, you know, you sinned and you messed up, so kind of my, my, I can't work through you anymore. And that's not true. You move ahead in the story. You skip ahead to Genesis chapter 21. If you're following along in your Bibles, we read this. After many, many years. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Everybody say promise. Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Everybody say promise. The author of Genesis here is trying to make a point, right? The promise was given at age 75. Their son Isaac was born when they were 100. So those of you that are nearing retirement or past retirement age, watch out, okay? At 100, okay? In other words, God is saying, trust the process. Don't try to jump in there and seize control and say, I can't handle the waiting anymore. I'm going to try to seize control. Abram learned that the hard way. God gives him a son. God says to Abraham, God says to you today, I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't forgotten about you. I'm not done with you yet. Something terrible happened to you many years ago and has set your life on a course and that wounding and that pain has caused you to be a certain way. God says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet, Abraham. I'm not done with you yet, Sarah. And maybe this whole story, we think, whoa, look at Abraham's faith. He's a great Bible hero. Maybe this story in Genesis isn't about Abraham's faith at all. It's about God's faithfulness right in the middle of it. Because God wasn't done yet. The very next chapter, turn the page to chapter 22. So to set the stage for this final scene, remember you're Abraham and you've waited, oh wait, a hundred years to have a child. You think you've waited a long time for something. He's a very, very old man. He's thinking, God finally came through. Thank you. Chapter 22, verse 2, Then God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, 
and go to the region of Moriah and there sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Take your one and only son and have him walk up a mountain carrying the wood that he will be sacrificed on. Abraham, take your one and only son and make him carry up the mountain the wood that he will be sacrificed on. And you thought Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament. How cruel, God. How devastating. How inhumane. How devastating for Abraham. It's easy to get bent out of shape, but if you look at the context of the story here, all the religions of all the nations around Abraham required child sacrifice as a way to please the gods. So this is not out of the ordinary. I would just imagine as Abraham is following his one and only son up the mountain to kill him, maybe Abraham is secretly hoping deep inside, maybe Yahweh is different. Maybe my God is different because I know his track record and I know his character that maybe he'll come through. And so after placing his son, they're getting to the top of the mountain and he places Isaac, his one and only son, on the altar. We read verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But at that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught in the thorns. He looked and saw a sacrificial lamb wrapped in thorns. And he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, named the very place, the mountain, the moment in his story, named the mountain, the Lord will provide. What moments in your life, looking back so far at your story, made no sense of the pieces that you were handed at the time? And yet, looking back on it now, you can totally see that you could name that moment, that experience, that pain, that diagnosis, that breakup, that loss, whatever it was. I see. God was just putting the pieces back together. And I'm going to name that moment in my life, the Lord will provide. God was there. See, there's a lot of people that get bent out of shape about this whole Genesis 22 story. It, it makes no sense, right? The, the cruel test of faith that God gave Abraham. And make no mistake, is it a test? Yes. God is jealous for your heart this morning. God's not saying, there's a relationship with me and then there's everything else and you can just kind of pick and choose and whatever works in your week and whatever fits into your schedule. This is how serious I am, God. Nothing, nothing, nothing should be on the level that I am in your life. Nothing compares. Why? Not because I'm trying to steal your joy and your fun, because I want you to have the best life possible, a life to the full. God is jealous for your heart, but we miss the whole point if we focus just on that. 
Was it a test? Certainly, but more importantly than that, this story is a statement. It is a giant exclamation point at the end of Abraham's story, and we even get to all of it, all the ways for a hundred years that God showed up and came through for Abraham over and over and over and over, and to the fact that he almost had to kill his own son. This story is a statement, it's an exclamation point at the end of Abraham's life of God saying, I keep my promises. I'm not like all the other gods. I'm not like all the other things that you run to in your life that promise to fulfill and promise to provide. I always provide, God says. I always come through. God says, Abraham, I didn't ask you to sacrifice your son so so you could somehow prove your love to me. I asked you to do it. I provided so that I could prove my love for you. God is the hero of this story, not Abraham. God is always the hero of our story. That I would provide for you, just not in the way you planned. In fact, Abraham, you don't even understand. (laughs) You thought thought the picture was coming together, and oh, now my picture is complete because, God, you provided a ram, a sacrifice, a perfect spotless ram to sacrifice instead of my... Now I see the picture come together, and God says, you don't even know the start of it. Abraham, there's a picture beyond the picture because 2,000 years later, (laughs) I'm going to send my one and only son who I dearly love and he is going to carry the wood for his sacrifice up a mountain and people will call him the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is a story beyond the story to prove not just my love for you, Abraham, but he's going to die on the cross to prove his love for the entire world for every single one of you. And as his followers, they're going to look at the pieces of that story and they're not going to make sense and they're going to hold the pieces and see their best friend, their savior, hanging dead on an old Roman cross, and he's going to get shoved in a tomb for three days. They're going to say, the pieces don't match the picture. And some of you are right there today. My pieces don't match the picture. Only three days later, for God to take the sourest lemon of all, the death of his one and only son, and bring resurrection. God is in the business of resurrecting whatever has happened to you in your life, of resurrecting our lives. And business is really good because he loves you. And God says to you this morning, every single one of you, I know your pain is real, but so is my love. I know your past. I was there when you messed up. I was there when that terrible thing happened to you. I was there when all those people did that terrible thing to you. There is nothing, there is no lemon so sour. God says, forget the lemonade. How about resurrection? How about new life that I can't redeem? There's no lemon so sour that can't be redeemed. And that's what Jack and Rebecca finally find out and what they discover at the end of just the first episode. And right in the middle of their despair of losing this third baby, God had already... Like the ram in the thicket, God had already provided. A baby was abandoned at the fire station, whom they will later adopt. And as you see this final scene of the flashback to when they adopt him and the flash forward to these three children, grown up and now processing the advice that their dad once gave them. There's no lemon so sour that can't be redeemed. Let's watch the final clip. 
So they, Jack and Rebecca wanted to leave the hospital with three healthy babies. And they did. And Abraham was desperately praying to God that he could come down from that mountain with one healthy boy. And he did. Just not as they planned. Just not as they planned. Proverbs 16.9, I think, pretty much sums up the entire series, television series, sums up the entire book of Genesis, sums up our lives. Proverbs 16.9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, right? If that's the case, I would get connected to Jesus Christ today. I would make him the very center of your life because you can run around your whole life, as scripture says, and chase the wind. Or you can trust in a God that is putting your pieces back together and is going to put the picture back together. And I think that if Abraham and Sarah were standing here today and they went around and they looked you in the eyes and they heard your story, what had happened to you, the pain and the frustration and everything in your story, I think that they would look you in the eyes and say, here's what I know about our God. There's nothing that he can't redeem. There's nothing that he can't heal. There's nothing that he can't restore. There's nothing that he can't resurrect. So keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith, sister. And don't focus so much on the pieces. Focus on the fact that I, your God, have put the picture back together time and time again. That's who I am, and I'll do it again for you. There's nothing that I can't resurrect. God is resurrecting us. Amen? Amen. Let's not just talk about it. Let's respond and let's stand and let's sing together of a God who resurrects our lives.